0: is on the Magava Banga Sutta, the, the Buddha's analysis of the Eightfold Path. Uh, while I'm reading this, um, and the Buddha's talking about things that we develop through that path, thank you, thank you, know that was missing. Uh, just ask yourself is there anything here that I'm talking about that you feel you can't accomplish if you haven't already? And let's talk about that. The Maghava Bhangasutta, the analysis of the Eightfold Path. This path is the framework for our Dhamma practice and hopefully eventually our entire life. And once you've integrated the Eightfold Path, you'll know it and you'll know that you're now liberated from your own self-imposed stress and you understand the external stress that's simply present in the world and you'll cease taking any of that personally. And again, that is true liberation to be able to do that. I have heard that at one time the Buddha was staying in Sabati at Jita's Grove and uh, up up Monastery. There he addressed those assembled. Friends, I will now give you a detailed analysis of the Noble Eightfold Path. Listen mindfully. This is the Noble Eightfold Path. Right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right meditation. The significance of using the term right, even going back to the Buddhist day, is to imply that as far as Dhamma practice is concerned, this is the, the right components of it, if you will. So there's such a thing as wrong meditation, and that doesn't mean that anything else. I, again, I can't remember if it was uh, uh, Chris that I was talking to, but I began with TM, and I dropped it. I don't think it's there's anything wrong with it. It works great for millions and millions of people, but it's just not part of this practice. And so, if you're going to, if you're a TMer and you want to integrate uh, the Eightfold Path, you'll use Jhana meditation because that's what's fit in the, in the And you'll understand a little bit later that the sole purpose of jhana meditation, what we just did, is to increase concentration so that you can hold in mind, I often refer to it as refined mindfulness, this entire eightfold path as the framework and structure for your life. Um, And so the implication through all of that is that there's wrong action, wrong livelihood, wrong effort. Right, wrong effort would be efforts that are outside of this that you think should be part of your Dhamma practice. For instance, uh, that kind and wonderful gentleman sitting back back there gets the prize for right effort for tonight. It took him two trains from uh, Jersey City and a a little ride on Uber to get him here tonight, but he's here. You know, just as an example, Uh, and. The last is so important, right meditation. We use jhana meditation. So the Buddha doesn't leave us right there with that list. He tells us what it's all about. And asks the rhetorical question. And what is right view? And again, as I'm reading this, just ask yourself and consider whether you think you can do this. And I think you'll see that all of this is possible. The Buddha didn't teach anything that a human being couldn't experience and really rather simply and directly. What is right view? Right view is knowledge with regard to stress. Now, we all begin with a, with a surface understanding of dukkha. Uh, as we continue, we, we get to ever le- deeper levels of understanding dukkha. And an awakened, fully mature human being is one that has a profound understanding of the nature of dukkha and the nature of stress in the world. Knowledge with regards to stress, knowledge with regards to the origination of stress, Knowledge with regards to the cessation of stress. That points also to the third noble truth. And knowledge with regards to the way of practice leading to the cessation of stress. And that, of course, is this entire Eightfold Path. And the Buddha concludes by saying this, friends, is right view. Uh, I don't want to get into a discussion, but I'm just curious if any of you feel like you couldn't develop that. And it's okay to say yes. But it is entirely... um, Uh, uh, accessible, these teachings, our own participation. It doesn't take any kind of special mind or powers or position or anything. It's just through our own right effort. Buddha asked, and and what is right intention? Right intention is being mindful of the intention to recognize and abandon wrong views. Simple and direct, isn't it? It kind of hits you between the eyes when you think about it. Wrong views is being mindful of the intention to remain free from ill will. Imagine that living the rest of your life free from ill will towards yourself and others. I often call that we end conflict in our mind and then we we contribute to to the lessening of conflict in the world. Being mindful of the intention to remain harmless to all beings. This, friends, is right intention. And what is right speech? Again, it's just as simple and it's rather obvious, but right speech is abstaining from lying, abstaining from divisive speech, abstaining from abusive speech, abstaining from gossip, and that's something the whole world seems to be so fond of, and the easy way to resolve that, if you're prone to it, is simply don't talk ill of anybody if they're not in your presence. Abstaining from idle chatter. It's, it's in the last, say, 20 years, that understanding of how we love to engage in idle chatter is what has made millionaires from the people, billionaires, from the people that have developed a way of uh, exploiting that. Facebook, uh, what's a, I, it's X now and those type of things. And, and it works so well. You know, people are always on their phones or their tablets engage in that way but almost all of it unless it's how's mom doing is mostly idle chatter you don't need it and it will prove to be a distraction to your downward practice if you're if you're prone to doing that do your best to stop doing it or limit it this friends is right speech and another component of speech though was also and really more importantly, the speech we're using with ourselves, or the, the story that we keep telling about ourselves. Uh, and it should be characterized by right speech, not something that is, is abusive in any way or even divisive to our own mind. We don't feel uh, comfortable with who, you, who we are in this moment. And we should be, because this moment is where our whole life exists and where our practice exists. And what is right action? Right action is abstaining from taking life. It's simple, but this can get pretty involved with people, um, especially in northern climates. You know, you might might say that this is a blanket statement on uh, strict vegetarianism. And I think I was talking to Tracy a little bit about the Buddha never taught strict vegetarianism because he knew that that was impractical for some people. And abstaining from taking life, many people in extreme northern climates would simply perish in a, in a generation if they didn't hunt animals and use them for food. I personally think it's rather gruesome and I couldn't do it. Uh, my my dad and his friends were hunters and they they kind of taught me and encouraged me to hunt. And I still remember this day that I was sitting in the backyard kind of fiddling with my bow and arrow and the deer walked 20 yards away from me. It was an easy shot. And I, I was ready to take it and I just started shaking. I said, why am I doing this? I don't need this animal's this life, and I, think I lost, you know, all the desire to hunt. But that was what they did. It wasn't. What, I don't. I don't think what they did was wrong, but it was certainly wrong for me. And I didn't need to do it. You know, I could go down to right and get a hamburger if I needed it. Abstaining what is from taking what is not freely given. It might not be obvious at first, but we have a even have a saying for that. We take people emotionally hostage. And so that's part of this, abstaining from taking what is not freely given. If a person isn't willing to come to us, however they are, we should insist that they be different, because that's doing this. Abstaining what is not freely given. Abstaining from sexual misconduct. And again, the Buddha never taught celibacy. He just taught to bring these same principles into your sexual relations. And so you can see that the Buddha's uh, dhamma is very liberating. It doesn't really exclude anything except the quality of our mind as we're doing it is what we're getting at. Abstaining from sexual misconduct, this, friends, is right action. Again, let me ask you, does anybody feel they can't incorporate these things into their life? Good. And what is right livelihood? It's rather obvious. Right livelihood abandons dishonest livelihood. So I was always in, I was in the contracting business, and I always considered myself ethical. I never price gouged, even though I saw opportunities here where people might be desperate and I could tack on an extra thousand. I never did it. But I also saw that there were many, many people that it was a stretched um to afford what, what I was offering them. And in as gentle a way as possible, I pointed them to, to less alternatives. So even early on, it wasn't all about me, you know, the bottom line. I was more concerned about serving the public that I was a part of and, and who were giving me money. Right livelihood is honest livelihood. This friend is right livelihood. Again, does anybody feel they can't do that? It's really simple. And what is right effort? Right effort is effort developing the skillful desire and ongoing persistence to abandon unskillful qualities that are not present. So it means we start gaining control of our minds and and stop developing ever increasingly deeper um, identities that just continue to add to our own dukkha, our own contributions to stress. Right? Effort is effort developing the skillful desire and ongoing persistence to abandon unskillful qualities that are present. And what are those unskillful qualities that are present? They're unique but common to all of us. And they're, they're the things that we're taking personally in our life right now. And all of that can be. Uh, depersonalize. We can learn how to not take anything personal. And that's part of this right effort. Right effort is effort developing the skillful desire. All right. Skillful desire, there's a word for it is Chanda. And it also happened to be the name of the Buddhist horse. Skillful desire is is the counter to unskillful desire. So skillful desire is is focused on developing Dhamma practice and, and being a part of all of this. Right effort is developing the skillful desire and ongoing persistence to end confusion and increase the full development of skillful qualities that are present. It's it's a very profound statement that you might not see how profound it is at all at first. But what the buddha is talking about is that these qualities that are most skillful are present in each and every human being. It's really Dhamma practice is about Um, stripping away all these false identities, these fabricated identities that we've we've created about ourselves out of a, a lack of understanding. Letting them all go and realize, yes, these skillful qualities are present in me and all that I have to do is get out of the way. And we're talking about the things we all want to be more of. We want to be more loving and more honest, certainly more compassionate. I think everybody at one time or another may be all ongoing, We always feel like we could be more compassionate, and we kind of wonder, well, what's holding me back? Well, you didn't know now until right now, it was concentration and right effort. This, friend, is right effort. And what is right mindfulness? Again, pointing to uh, even during the Buddhist time, there was a, a, a misapplication and a misunderstanding of mindfulness. Most of modern Buddhist practice kind of resolves itself in this. Uh, milieu of mindfulness, and it, I, you know, be mindful of everything-the like washing the dishes and you yeah. know, the, the walking the dog-and those are all good things, but those are, um, a result of dhamma practice, not something we should be grasping after. You know, the, it, it, the quality of refined mindfulness is to be able to hold in mind the framework of the Eightfold Path, and once we do that, we know we're good to go. We, we will remain because of that, we know that we'll be. Be able to remain harmless to ourselves, most importantly, by the way, and others. And that is again I'll use this this saying to in relation to much of this, but that is truly a liberated way of living, and it's there for all of us. So, and again, by if uh, I lose these words every now and then. By inference, calling it right mindfulness is in reference to all the kinds of of misapplications of mindfulness during the Buddhist time, exactly like our time. And I'm not putting that or denigrating any type of mindfulness practice. They tend to be very helpful to people, but they're simply not part of Dhamma practice. This is refined mindfulness. Right, a refined mindfulness is remaining mindful of the body, free of distraction. This is, I mean, that's referencing a mind united in its body. Free of distraction, ardent, alert, and mindful, mindful of abandoning greed and reaction or aversion to worldly events. Imagine being able to do that constantly. And that's where we're going. What occurs out there is really none of our business. We learn to depersonalize everything. And in that way, we we create the gentleness within ourselves that we so crave. And that's how we live in the world. You know, Many of us talk about, and sometimes in it relating to environmental terms, but to, to live gently on this planet. And this is the direct way to do it. And it's not just uh, eating a certain way or this or that. It's really being gentle to yourself first and then presenting that to others. Uh, I, I always cry when I do this. If you want to know an example of it, just look at Matt a little bit. You know, he exemplified. it. Right? Right mindfulness is remaining mindful of feelings arising and passing away. They're just feelings arising and passing away. If you don't like what you're feeling right now, take a breath, and maybe two, and it will pass. You don't have to do anything else. Of feelings arising and passing away, free of distraction, ardent, alert, and mindful of abandoning greed and reaction or aversion to worldly events. Right mindfulness is remaining mindful of mental qualities arising and passing away, I mean, this is thoughts now, free of distraction, ardent, <laughs> alert, and mindful, abandoning greed and reaction to worldly events. So the understanding here is that reaction or greed or aversion to worldly events is rooted in eye-making in this moment, it's rooted in a grasping after or a, 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 a taking a position of aversion, and this is describing liberation. Mindful of abandoning greed and reaction to worldly events. Again, what's going on out there is not to be taken personal. And I don't mean to to disregard it or bury your head in the sand. It's it's really part of Dhamma practice to be present with everything that's occurring without taking any of it personally. And if that sounds like almost a fantasy right now, I'll say one word to boot off use news. Come and see for yourself, and you certainly will. Right? Mindfulness is remaining mindful of the quality of mind arising and passing away, right? Every quality of our mind is is impermanent, no matter what it is. Being mindful of the quality of mind arising and passing away, free of distraction from this quality of mind, not letting this quality of mind in this moment be a distraction. Because it it really is uh, there's a tint of mental illness to actually do that. I know it's hard to see in the moment, but to want your mind to be any different than it is, you've kind of lost your mind in that moment. And this brings it back into that. The arising and passing away free of distraction, ardent, uh, alert, and mindful of abandoning greed and reaction to worldly events. This, friends, is right mindfulness. And what is right meditation? Of course, we're referring to Jhana meditation. For one who has developed right meditation, their concentration increases and they withdraw from the need for sensual stimulation. And they're going to, I'll ask every one of you, Just do you feel that hasn't happened almost as soon as you start uh, this jhana practice, that your concentration increases? It might not be by leaps and bounds, but I think all of you, and, and I think I've talked to all of you about this at one time or another, It's in very practical matters that you realize you're able to to recognize that you might be going somewhere you don't want to go. You take a breath and you rein that in and you don't go there. You don't react to what's occurring, at least as quick as you're used to. You're much more thoughtful. And another word for that is much more mindful. And that's developing and integrating the Eightfold Path. It, It feels just like that by becoming the Tibetan word for meditation is gom. And that's not what we're doing but it means to become familiar with. We're becoming familiar with our mind, a human mind, not some mind that's, that's settling in nothingness or emptiness or something that we can, we access in some future life. The Buddha never taught anything like that. He taught human beings how to awaken, how to gain full human maturity in this lifetime. And there's a couple of sutras that those of us who've been coming around, you know you hear it often, that he says this is possible to do in seven years or six or five or four or three or two or even in a month. It's up to us in our practice. But it's it's for this lifetime that we awaken, not a future lifetime. There is no future lifetime for us human beings as far as we know. So we get one breath in the beginning and we get one breath at the end. Everybody's the same. And what we do with those middle breaths is what is most significant. Live your life fully by being here for it, by being present. The Buddha continues, for one who has developed right meditation, their concentration increases, and they withdraw from unskillful mental qualities. For one who has developed right meditation, their concentration increases, and they enter and remain in the first jhana, the first level of meditative absorption, which is joyful engagement, And pleasure in the Dhamma, born from withdrawal or seclusion from the world, and accompanied by directed thought and evaluation. So this simply means a lot of words that we all begin our jhana practice the same way. Every one of us, including me, I establish my spot, I give my dog a pet, and I sit, and I take a breath, and I've established seclusion. And understanding where I'm going, that's full of joyful engagement. And if that's not yet present, you can generate that self by yourself by understanding what this practice is going to give you. And the directed thought and evaluation refers to as we begin our practice, our minds are usually full of a, bun- a bunch of thoughts, and we're taking the time to quiet it down. But just be mindful of that, and be mindful as that continues to quiet down. Directed thought and mindful evaluation, and uh, We can get a little distracted by that by uh, going too far in the evaluation. Am I doing this right? I can't do this. I don't know what that crazy bald guy in French time is talking about. But again, the Buddha's words here are really just to encourage us to keep going. Keep going because he was so sure about what he taught. But he wasn't quite so sure how other people would accept it. But he taught anyway. For one who has developed right meditation, their concentration increases, and now their directed thoughts and mindful evaluation quiets. It simply means that our concentration is increasing, and we no longer have to direct our our, our thought, our uh, mindful, mindfulness back to our breath, and in our meditation, when we find that we're caught up in a feeling or a thought, we simply go back to our breath, and this is the deepening uh, of concentration into the second level. And again, has anybody felt like they haven't experienced that yet? It, this is part of each and every meditation session, and it's there just to be developed further. They enter remain in the second jhana, the second level of meditative absorption, which is now joyful engagement and pleasure born of recognizing, recognizing deepening concentration, now free from directed thought and mindful evaluation, and now confident within. And this is the Buddha often talked about. We become confident within. We become sovereign to ourselves. We realize that we're all that we can be, but we're all we ever need to be in this moment. Where No matter how we might have felt in our life, no matter what other limitations we put on ourselves or others, and really no matter what time of, Type of trauma might have happened. Life is traumatic for everyone, some people just have much more severe experiences of it too, but none of it is to be taken personally. It's just part of dukkha, part of having this wonderful, incredible human life. And I can tell you, my friends, I spent more than half my life not wanting to be here and using various methods, some some of them were actually illegal, to not But I'm so glad I have this human life. Right now, and I've said this to a few people today, right now is the most meaningful moment I've ever had. And it's because I'm present for it. I think I said maybe it was to Tracy that having dinner and talking with you at that time was the most significant moment, the most pleasant moment I've ever had. And certainly the, the, the birthday cake was the best mm. part of it all.
1: <laughs> and
0: again, I, there was a time when I didn't have a chance of living this long to experience it. And as you're singing happy birthday to me, cry. that's the thought that I had. I'm just so glad I'm still present and mindful enough to actually experience this because being present for this moment, no matter how wonderful or rocky it is, is the secret to happiness. For one who has developed right meditation, their concentration increases and their joyful engagement fades. It doesn't mean that now our practice is getting miserable. It's just taking another deeper level of concentration. We don't even recognize the pleasure because it's not really important at this point. But recognizing that pleasure in your meditation practice is important as, as it is recognizing that you no longer need that. It falls away. Equanimity arises. Equanimity is simply just a balanced quality of mind. It's a, it's a quality of mind that's not taking anything uh, personal in this moment. And it's, so it's always calm and peaceful, resting and understanding. Equanimity arises with mindfulness of pleasure in a mind now united in its body. So has anybody not experienced what that means to, to be have your mind united in your body? Again, even for, if it's just for a brief moment, that's what we're talking about. And it's not that tough, is it? Some people would think it's the most difficult thing in the world to be present for this moment. But I can tell you it's the most natural human way of living, to be here, to be present for my life. And no matter what it is, I'm glad that I, I at least found it a little later in life and not at all. And the, I'm closer to the end in the beginning. And I just love this part of my life. I know it's hard to understand, but all the things that are going on in the aging process are, <laughs> they're wonderful in, their, in the, their inherent dukkha because I understand it now. And so I'm, I, I'm so happy to have had this human life. I'm more than willing to go through the dukkha that's naturally associated with it. I don't have to take it personally, I can understand it. If I don't want to put a bullet in my head, but I certainly don't want that. I want this, I want to be present for each and every moment of my life until I finally take that last breath. And then I've lived a life. I've told the fellow Dhamma teachers here, when John Haskell was gone, I mean, not that anybody would, but I don't want statues or anything else. John Haswell was here. He did what he did. Hopefully he was helpful to some people, but now he's gone. Can we
2: at least have a bobblehead doll man
3: for you?
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, okay,
2: okay.
1: You
3: can carve some things.
2: Yeah, make little bobbleheads. You all know why I love this
0: here. They enter and re, they enter the third genre. The wise know as economists and mindful of pleasant abiding. So again, it's nothing out of reach of any of us. And I bet you every one of you, if you haven't recognized it, you will now, had that even a moment or two or maybe three, four, five, ten of just a pleasant abiding. Your meditation is just a pleasant refuge. And it's there for deepening concentration. And that's how it should be seen. All of Dharma practice should be seen as a true refuge from the world. And Arjana practice is certainly that um, personified. You know, it's it's the practice of that. The Buddha continues. For one who has developed right meditation, their concentration increases, their mind rests in equanimity. Neither pleasure, I love this line because it leads us to a real depth of understanding dukkha. Neither pleasure nor pain have a footing. Pleasure or pain when we grasp after it or cling to it is dukkha. Neither pleasure nor pain have a footing now. It's just me being mindful of this moment in my life. They enter and remain in the fourth genre. Their mindfulness and equanimity is pure, free free of wrong views. Again, the Buddha wouldn't teach something that a human being couldn't accomplish. And even if it's just briefly... In your meditation, you might realize that in that moment you're free of all wrong views, as described earlier. Free of wrong views, rooted in ignorance, they always are, of four noble truths. This this friend is right meditation. He finishes it. It was always curious to me until I got into it. Why is right meditation the last part of the Eightfold Path? And it really is to kind of Uh, Inform us that it is the most important part of the practice, but there's still these other seven factors to incorporate. This, friends, is right meditation. This is what the Buddha declared. Those gathered were gratified and delighted at his words. That's the end of tonight's sutra. I, I want to hear from everyone, but we're, we you do have a, a good sized class here, and uh, you know we're, we're uh, I don't want to keep everybody too long. So please talk about what you like, ask any questions, make any comments, but if you could could keep it as brief as possible. And I'd like to start with Chris. And nobody has to talk if you'd rather. John, I to go. I'm sorry. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> us, Jen. Uh, nobody has to talk ever, and if you prefer noble silence, just say so. Um, you know, sometimes people would just rather rest in what the talk was about. But Chris, I'd like to hear what you have to say, if anything, and ask any questions. Chris yeah. is joining us for the first time tonight.
4: Thanks, thank you, John. Um, I, I was one question I had. Um, you were speaking about uh, illness uh, as being nuca. Did I hear ill like, will? Oh, ill will. Okay, that's yes. different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But
0: since you mentioned it, illness could be dukkha. Most people, and I remember, you know, before I really understood it, if I got a cold, I felt like this is as good as I'm going to feel forever, even though I knew it would pass. So we really tend to identify with any kind of illness that is happening to us. Again, that's all part of the first noble truth. It's just as a consequence of having a human life. So I I know that wasn't your question, but just to talk
4: about yeah, it yeah. i think you answered um uh, no i i think i'm just gonna rest with these the thoughts i, I i'm still taking it all in and um yeah. but i i enjoyed it and i um I, I love this you know this meditation uh i i meditated now t- three times today with the with yeah. tonight <laughs> that's all but I, I'm getting that breath, you know, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm leaving the TM behind or putting it aside for now. Uh, so yeah. I, I'm actually really enjoying this this breathing. It's very powerful. It is. It's, it's all, you know, and it does uh, kind of keep you within your, your being in, in a very, like, positive way. So I, I, I'm enjoying that. And uh, thank yeah,
0: you, you. You already have insight into where we're going. That's, that's the whole point to unite our minds and our body and keep it there.
4: Yeah. So,
0: again, thank you for joining us. I, I told you a few times. Any questions or any confusion, send me an email. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
0: and you you have our class schedule, so please join us as often as you can. Thanks, John. Good to see you again, Chris. And we have another newcomer. I'm sorry, I forgot. Sadiqa, Sadiqa would you like to uh, come on screen and say a few words? You don't have to, but we'd love to meet
4: you. I think he's on screen, John.
3: Hi. Um, no, I don't think I. my camera is on. Um, so. oh. Yeah, but I can, I think you can hear me. Can you?
0: Yes, I can hear you fine, thank
3: you. Okay, yes, um, so thank you so much. It was my first time meditating and also the first time attending this class. Um, Julia invited me and I really enjoyed it. I, I mean, meditation for 30 minutes is difficult right now for me, but I'm hoping to you know, learn that and be able to do it.
0: You You mean this is the very first meditation you've ever done? Yes. Wow. I mean, that's really I don't think I've ever met somebody that would say that you're you're rather fortunate in that you don't have to work through your old practice or start comparing it to this. But you began right where, you know, this is most important. 30 minutes, 30 minutes is a long time for a first sit. Um, I recommend people when they're first starting out to just, you know, what's most important is to. Two sits a day, whether it's one, two, three, four, five minutes, at first, that's fine. Uh, on the website, there's from five five to 45-minute guided jhana meditations that you can download and use for your practice. And I encourage everyone to use those guided meditations because it, the, the, medit- the guided meditations are always reinforcing the four foundations of mindfulness. So that's why it's important. And uh, Sadiqa, I hope you, you join us again and again, feel free to contact me through the through the website uh, with any questions you
3: might have. Yeah, I will do that. Yeah, thank you. It was really, it was really, it is for me. So thanks.
0: Thank you. Glad you joined us. Jane, how are you?
3: Hi, John. Hi. First of all, happy birthday.
0: Thank you. John, happy birthday. Adam. Thank you. This is, this is my and 18th, 40th surprise party. <laughs> um
3: <laughs> I just want to say that um everything you talked about with the Eightfold path is indeed doable it takes time but yeah. it is doable so thank you
0: yeah and thank you for saying that and for your encouragement Jane you always are though uh, how's Slav doing tonight good to see you my friend
2: Thank you John for teaching first of all happy birthday and um yes eightfold yeah, Path it's a uh, easy practice but it's hard to do it
0: (laughs) yeah it takes it takes persistence as was mentioned here often
5: but
4: with
0: time you're able to develop it right
5: yep thank you john
0: thank you slav hello dama teacher brian from ohio
5: john how are you happy birthday for the 10th time this month congratulations
0: Keep it coming. Keep uh, it
5: coming. Yeah, yeah. The card's in the mail. Don't worry. It'll get there. Uh,
0: if you want me to send a truck to pick up my presents, I'd be happy to. You might
5: have to. You might have to. Yeah. Um it's a load of something. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it is a load of something.
4: Uh it,
5: it's it is it's ever, ever increasingly fascinating to me the 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 beauty of the dhamma and, and when i started this just how linear it was in my head and it's it's yeah. just become so so much more exponential it's nested within itself uh it's it's in an in and of itself self-referential right so it's it's almost mimicking the, the mind <laughs> itself as an alternate way of uh yeah. an alternate way of engaging with with reality uh and that's just the beauty of the design of it. And um the more you practice the 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 more beautiful it gets. So thank you, my friend.
1: Thank you.
0: Yeah, and remember this was this practice was designed, if you will, 2,600 years ago, and it still is relevant today. And the Four Noble Truths are still
6: relevant today. Thank you. Uh Zach
0: over in the corner, how are you doing tonight?
6: Doing well. Thanks for the teaching, John. I'm just going to say hi, Sadiqa, and others on the call, but I'm going to take a silence otherwise. Thank you for joining us.
0: Tracy, thank you for being here.
7: Thank you, John. Thanks for the teaching. Um, I think the only thing I'd want to share is um, this teaching could not have come at a better time, Um, (laughs) since starting with the Sangha, really, I think, experienced the beauty of Jhana meditation, and there's, like, a calling to, like, now what like take it out into the world and use it
5: yeah
7: um and i'm not exactly sure how to do that so this is the perfect timing for this lesson yeah
0: just like this isn't it take take this um thomas merton who uh who spent 10 years on the top of a mountain meditating he was a, a christian mystic but the first thing he said when he came down off of that mountain was meditation is useless if you can't take it into the marketplace yeah. You know, it's not about sitting isolated at to the top of a mountain. It's about living our lives wherever they are. And of course, there was a different practice than we have, but the Buddha taught us to be present for each and every moment of our life without greed or aversion, without needing it to be more or avoiding anything. We're just here, or we become a reference point to what's occurring.
7: And, and just one last thing I do want to also acknowledge how grateful. I am for having a place to talk about this. <laughs> because obviously everybody gets it here. So I just very appreciative and thank you everybody for that.
0: I feel the same way you do, Tracy. I, I I feel so fortunate and appreciative of being a part of your Sangha. And I know that might sound a little strange, but that's exactly how I see it. I'd be kind of a fool if I sat there every Tuesday and Saturday teaching nobody. You know, just blabbing my lips, I and mean, I do a pretty good job of blabbing. But <laughs> really, you—you you, all of you, you know. And I say, I think I said this to David just recently. Every one of you are people that I want to be a part of my life. You're—you're wonderful, kind. I don't even know how to say it, but again, I'm just so glad to be a part of your saga. So, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks, Tracy. Raquel, how are you tonight?
6: Thank
3: you. Wonderful teaching. I, I'm, I'm in state of all of this. Um... I'm in state of all, and I'm so like overwhelmed with all this. This that I'm. I, I'm still thinking: Is this for real? This, this, this whole group of people. This whole thing here that I have been searching for, <laughs> like all my life, and I and I am afraid that I wake will wake up and say this that was a dream, a good yeah. dream. No, this uh, is I, no dream. I know. It's it's wonderful to be among all of you. It's a privilege to be here with you all. And thank you, Matt, for having introduced me to, to this. And thank you, John, for your patience to listen to me. Yeah. <laughs> I can see in only three weeks that I have been here, like a <laughs> huge transformation in my life.
0: Yeah, isn't it is amazing? Yes. And again, we are so appreciative that you joined us here in, in three weeks, you've become such an integral and important part of our sangha. And just like you've been uh, doing the best you can for three weeks, that's all that Dhamma practice is asking of you. Just keep doing the best you can. Even when it feels overwhelming, take a breath. Unite your mind and your body. And it isn't. If you, you take, we take small bites. You know, that's why I always talk about the most important thing in Dhamma practice, but really in life, is to be very gentle with ourselves. Especially with Dharma practice. Mm-hmm. Let the Dharma come to you rather than grasp after it. And it will, just like it has in three weeks. I'm glad you joined us tonight. Here's my friend Dev, Mr. Right Effort. <laughs> um, yeah, I
5: have to share your sentiments. But thank you for this, for the space, for this teaching today. Yeah. Uh, besides that, I'm just going to take the side. But...
0: I really am so glad you joined us today. Hopefully, you can get here more often. And Jennifer, I'm so glad you joined us tonight, and I hope you can join us more often now that summer's over.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm within the next
3: couple of weeks. Business right. is going to slow down, and, and I can get back into things. But um, again, thank you for a wonderful teaching,
6: always timely, um, and I just I'm grateful. Very,
0: very very Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Me too. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jennifer. Bridget, thank you for the birthday cake and being
4: so thoughtful. <laughs> well,
1: as everyone else said,
2: it's a wonderful privilege and honor to be a part of the
1: summertime and have you for a teacher. Good to cry. Um... I am. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I come to class, I say, I'm not gonna cry. Uh, But I think the the one thing that was coming up for me in this teaching was just realizing how, as I moved forward, when it felt overwhelming and difficult, as I imagined at times, it probably will again. You, and especially David, always encouraged me to be gentle with myself, which is, I think, so important. and I'm realizing how that gentleness allows those things to fall away. Yeah. Like you're saying how it's, you know, it's not a building up, it's the stripping away. And I think I keep understanding that on deeper and deeper levels. And that relief <laughs> just keeps deepening. But I feel like I've reached almost like a still point. Where even when things start to go,
0: I feel confident that it's going to return. Yeah, that's just—it's so powerful and it's so wonderful. So thank you. Thank you, and I think that that platforming, if you will, uh, is is rather common. I, I know I've experienced it many times in my life as I was changing my mind and developing the practice that I seem to reach this this platform where nothing new was really going on but, but that was the time to integrate what i've learned up to that point and you know i just think that's you, when we start treating ourselves with with gentleness our mind and body respond with gentleness when we treat ourselves harshly our mind and body we we react to that that's what medical science would call stress this is a lot to suit to the second arrow and you you learn that in a Very deep and penetrative ways. Thank you, Bridget. Julia, good to see you.
7: Good to see you. Hi, Sadiqa. Thanks for coming and thanks for the teaching. Um, First, also a thank you to Matt for right effort and being gentle with my spill tea on his (laughs) floor. (laughs) This teaching, what stuck with me the most was in the first when you shared why right meditation is the last one that's not a hierarchy, but like a bedrock and everything else also is all the other parts of Eightfold path are important. And I was also really struck by how much of my life prior to the song, I wasn't really fully present for. Yeah. And you know, when you're hosting a party and you're so stressed out, is everybody else having a good time that you're not, like you sort of blacked out and you weren't really there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's one example that I thought would resonate, but I just, had that feeling for so much of my life. And um, the practice, I don't experience that anymore because of the concentration that I'm learning to build here. And uh, it's just making such a difference as everybody is saying, but it it really has concrete uh, implications for living a a really much more enjoyable life, so.
0: Yeah, you're becoming more of what you really are, a human being. And again, what could be more ordinary and and at the same time extraordinary? But being a human being and know what that really means and being at peace with that. One breath at the beginning, one breath at the end, but we get to fill up all the rest how we want. Mm -hmm. Hello, Cody. I'm glad to see you. It was so nice to meet your family.
4: (laughs) Thanks. Thank you for having me. I... um very grateful for the space and for the teaching and um one thing that um that really stood out for me or that my attention just sort of went to was um the concept of uh forgive me if i get the words wrong but i think you i think you it was skillful desire yep chanda Um, it's not important
0: to remember chanda
4: Okay, I won't remember.
1: <laughs>
0: Good. Um, skillful
4: desire. But um, I'd love to hear more about that yeah. rather than talk. I don't have anything else to say, but I'd love to hear more about
2: that. Yeah, we'll,
0: we'll, we'll continue the conversation and, and, actu- and continue Dharma practice. You'll actually see it and experience it, what skillful desire is. And you could classify it as anything that um, you're moving towards that you're not taking personal. But that really reflects developing the Eightfold Path, having the skillful desire, skillful desire to actually do this, but you're doing that, you know, you're kind of fulfilling the equation just by being here. And persistence, skillful desire and persistence the Buddha mentions over and over again, he's just encouraging us to keep going, keep going, keep going, because he knows that those that keep going will develop this Dharma and Those of us that have been here to see newcomers come in and develop the Dhamma can testify to that. Nobody that's come into this room that has actually stayed with us and developed the practice has not made significant changes in the way they live in the world. And it's just that way. So keep coming, my friend. It just gets better and better. (laughs) Keep coming to the world, the the show that never ends. here it is. The end of the road is really wonderful. I
2: teach you wrong. I'm a teacher Ron. I'm a teacher John. And I, I am just so grateful to have found this this eightfold path because it it does change a life. Um It changed my life completely. Um, from being confused and uh, anxious and whatever. Um, but mostly confused, as to even with a lot of, of not so skillful desire to, to, to be a better person yeah. or to do good in the world or whatever the, that, those on so, not so quite so skillful desires were. Um, once you get even uh, a slight grasp on, on the Eightfold Path and start applying it, things become, life, life becomes A, meaningful, B, easy. Yeah, simpler. The, the, because all of that built in conflict from different ideas and, and whatever that you've grown up with, that you've tried to embrace uh, and, and try to apply, all that stuff falls away.
4: Yeah.
2: And the amount of energy that that liberates allows you to do so much. Uh, with, with ease. With ease. Um, and to have this here after 2,600 years, a lot of it from your effort. Um, I, I thank you.
0: Thank you, Ram. I, I remember uh, I don't know how many retreats ago it was that we had a, a talk about the Eightfold Path and you, you, know, you were skeptical about how to how to get at it and if it's really worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And I, I basically said, just keep coming, keep coming. And again, I, I point to Dev, Dev as an, uh, a representative of Right Effort, but if you look up Right Effort in the dictionary, you see Rom's picture because he was skeptical for years. And yet he kept coming and kept coming. He was really waiting for me to slip up, and I never did.
7: <laughs> <laughs> Dhamma <Good
0: man. laughs> teacher David. All set. Thank you so much for, for being here for that great class on Saturday. Uh, Dhamma teacher Matt, and uh, uh, the co-founder here.
6: Thanks, John. It, it really is. And I, I, love that I've said this so many times over the years, but just really heartening to see everybody use this space. And that use really means that. Really means that. Use what's being offered, mm-hmm. and that's it. You know, that's that's this. This was something that was, as we've said a number of times tonight, that's been available for 2,600 years, and we're using it here, we're putting it into practice. And you know, it's, it's less about getting it and getting things and getting and acquiring, and it's more about, as we've said in a number of different ways, even tonight, letting go of things and stripping away things and removing things that are in the way. So it just, it's, it's very heartening to, to be around all of you and have you uh, share that, thank you all.
0: Thank you, Matt. Just briefly, I won't get into the whole story, but when me and Matt came together, we had a little uh, meeting down at the Bridge Cafe And within minutes, we, you know, we realized we're on the same page and we had a vision for what we wanted to create here in Frenchtown. And this is it. We did it (laughs) with all of your help and support. So Thank you, Matt. Uh, Does anybody else have any questions or comments? Okay, we'll finish with Meta, which we always do. And these are the Buddha's words on Metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. And what it describes is the qualities of an awakened human being. And again, please close your eyes and unite your mind in its body. This is what is done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. They are able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech humble and not conceited, contented, and easily satisfied. They remain unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. They are peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. They do not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. They are always mindful that all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. They are always mindful to not deceive another or despise any being in any state. They abandon anger and ill will with ease never wishing harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart, the wise disciple cherishes all living beings. They radiate kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, Seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, they maintain refined mindfulness. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, they abandon ignorance of four noble truths. Having completed the path, they are not born again into this world.
4: Thank you all for a
3: wonderful
4: class. Thank you, John. Thanks, Thank you, John. John. See you all soon. Bye. Bye. Good Bye. Thank you. Thank
1: you.
0: <laughs> Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddhist Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com Thank you. Peace.